Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some functional issues, problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a Contact Us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode number 70. We hit number 70 here at the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back this week. We weren't going to do a show, but we made some time. You know, we want this show to be as relevant as possible, and we had kind of a big thing going on this week. So without further ado, I'm here with my co-host, Steve-O. What's happening, Steve? Hey, Tucker. What's the big event we're going to be talking about? (laughs) Well, I saw you about 12 hours ago over in Happy Valley, Oregon at the Block Party we were both there along with hundreds and hundreds of other people. It was a it was a great venue. It was a great evening. So we thought we would get out there to our listeners, many who maybe were there, and it'll be interesting for them to kind of compare their notes and thoughts with ours. And then probably more so many that, that weren't there, since it is kind of a it's a limited amount of people that can the block party. I know literally dozens and dozens of people who were scrambling trying to find some and they couldn't get any. You kind of have to get them early or know somebody. So for those people, we've got you know a sneak peek at what it looks like. Some of the houses we'll talk about. That way, when you go next week, I know a lot of people that are planning on going on Monday Realtor Day. You'll kind of have an early advantage in kind of knowing a little bit about what's going on over there. So. Absolutely. And the block party is kind of the who's who, right, of the real estate industry night. Everybody gets together and has a couple beverages and tours some some pretty crazy houses. This year we had a, at least one really crazy house that we can talk about. But <laughs> I, I will say this before we get in. We, you know, we did the show. It's been four years now since we did it, which seems crazy that it's been that long. But I put some pictures up on my Facebook page if any of you guys are friends with me. I will say it's a lot more fun to go to these things as a guest because <laughs> when we did it as a builder – Man, it's so stressful getting up to that block party night because you got to get everything done. You got to get the house staffed. You got to get all the arrows and directionals up. You got to get all kinds of things, hundreds and hundreds of little details that you don't even have to even begin to think about as a guest. And so you could just kind of walk through, have an adult beverage or two, shoot the breeze with people. And it's just a much better experience. I actually saw a buddy of mine that we interviewed last year, last year's show, who had best in show last year, Rick Weibel from Stafford Land Company, and we were talking outside one of the houses, and it was like such a more relaxed conversation than we had with him last year because he was in the middle of trying to get everything, you know, knocked out and 
So it's it's definitely a better experience, I think, all around, just being there for the enjoyment factor. So. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. I talked to on the Red Hills Construction Number Four property. I saw the designer in the backyard and knew of her, and we talked for a little bit, and she was just talking about the limited amount of sleep she's had in the last weeks and weeks and months. And I guess, and we'll get to this one, but I heard from somebody, they built it in like four months or something. Like they yeah, they broke- started way late this year. So it wow. was just bananas from the first bucket of dirt getting, you know, excavated for foundation all the way to us being there last night. Unbelievable. I <laughs> Usually... It's just madness building one of these in a year or even, you know, nine months, 10 months. I cannot imagine three and a half, four months. It's just crazy. What was your overall take on, first of all, just high level, the entire location layout, you know, not a specific house per se. We can go into the overall houses in in a second, but just what do you think of the location and the layout of the street this year, Tucker? You know, I don't want to be overly critical of anything and I'm, I'm not going to be, but it's always a challenge finding a location for street of dreams. I know that, you know, they get people that bring them ideas every year and they have to kind of take the best of what they have available. Cause it's just, it's a challenging thing to find that much land in the Portland Metro area. That's at least, you know, close enough in, you'll get a lot of people and desirable enough that it can fit the price point of houses. So that being said, I think the layout for the way things felt last night was good location wise. You know, it's decent. It's Happy Valley. I'm not in love with Happy Valley. Never have been. But there's a lot of land out or bigger lots out there now. There's not a lot of land left, but there's a lot of bigger lots that can be, you know, replatted and chopped up. And that's essentially what what happened here. And actually, one of the houses, the T.A. Lacey house, I guess the guy that is going to be living in that house, he actually owned the whole property. And so he went through the development. So it's it usually ends up being an owner is somehow involved in one of the houses there. But overall, I thought the location was decent. I personally, you know, wouldn't. I, well, I would never build Street Dreams again anyway because <laughs> I've been through it. I've checked the box. But, you know, if I, that location wouldn't, like, speak to me and be like, I got to build a house here, you know. But it wasn't bad by any means either. It just it was, you know, kind of vanilla in terms of that, if yeah. I'm totally honest. I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, it is Happy Valley. It's It's a good location. Like, when I left there, somehow I got front parking. Don't ask me how. And that was kind of pleasant for me. I don't know how. Usually I hate having to be in the middle of some dusty field and, and bust in. Somehow I got some fairly close pavement parking. When I left there, 30, 45 seconds later, you're hitting Sunnyside Road right in the heart of Happy Valley. So, I mean, it is good proximity there. There wasn't views. You know, there was no special feature to the lots other than their size. Several of the houses, I want to say at least two or three, maybe three had pools of the five. And then the others had good outdoor space and courtyards and, and some other cool stuff going on. It was laid out nicely. I have to say, last year's, while it was such a great street of dreams, and by the way, last year's was also double the prices on the houses. I'm looking at the brochure right here in front of me that I got last night. They averaged like mid one millions, 1.5, 1. 1.8. Two of them have undisclosed prices, so they could be much higher, but they're not for sale. One is Talizi's house. I think he built that for himself. I mean, that's what I heard. Yeah, he built it for the guy that owned the property, and so that guy's. The owner of the existing dirt, oh, he's going to okay. live there. His parents or he's got an in-law attachment we can go through. And then it's almost like a multi-generational house. Gotcha. Yeah. So what I was getting at, I mean, 
Yes, it's not as special and spectacular as last year's, but the prices convey that as well, too. Right. I mean, they're far more manageable prices for a million and a half or a million eight. They're they're pretty decent houses in Happy Valley for that price. I liked how the block party felt, where the band was located, how the houses were relatively close together. It felt like it was just a little bit more consolidated, and it was a it was a better atmosphere. You're never very far from the houses. You're never very far from you know where the the beverages and food are. It was it's pretty concise. It's not spread out like it made for a fun event in that regards. You know, it's not acres and acres with huge hills in between, and you know the band is far from the beverages. So. Let's do real quick, Tucker, high level, overall, all houses. What was your feel on all the the houses? Overall, I think they did a good job. The HBA's happy because they got their kind of gimmicky house, which will draw people into the show. There's no question there. You know, I think that there were things that I liked about lots of them. I will say the backyards on a few were really cool. The pool backyards, one of my favorite things about the show was the way that they set up some of those backyards. The initial house. Stonebridge, the one that I saw there, that was, I think, one of the best backyards for sure, just because of the way it was laid out. You know, they had a pool and then, of course, they had a detached garage with a basketball hoop in there. And it's very similar to the house that I'm building for myself. So that's probably why I like it so much. But um, (laughs) they did a really good job. They had the, you know, the fake grass they put in around the pool and it was just it felt very like cozy, but yet spacey and they did a good job with it. So I think the backyards were one of my favorite things overall about the show. I agree. I I absolutely agree. And it's not just the pool, but several of them had this kind of courtyardy feel, kind of like pool, outdoor living, all kind of working together, like an ecosystem all working together so that it just it flows real well. And, And several of them had that in their outdoor living area. Number three also had that real well. I don't know if you could actually go into their backyard, but you could see it from... You're talking about the TLAC house or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, could you could get back there. I, I I walked down there. They actually had, because um, I was like, oh, wow, they they put it, they brought in a bunch of palm trees, which I'm a palm yeah. tree fanatic. So I was like, well, that's cool. But they had a half basketball court out there and then they had a an actual like glass backboard adjustable hoop for the pool as well, which was kind of cool. So I, I went down there and, and checked it out. But yeah, you could get into the backyard there as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So I liked the pool on that house a lot better than on number one. Number one, while I liked the layout, I wasn't in love with the pool. I felt like it was a pretty bare bones looking pool, pretty average-ish. So that would probably my only beef with that one. I didn't love the curb appeal on that one. I think when I saw you, we spoke briefly about that one. It has some great amenities to it. I mean, it's got some great lights and it's got some, you know, some cool components to it. I like the look of the garage. It has two individual components to the front of the house that almost look like a school or church that was rebuilt. But that said, I liked the inside of the house. I liked a lot of things going on with the house. Is that the one that I think it's the one that you go upstairs and there's like a catwalk area? That's the one. That is kind of really worthless. Yeah. (laughs) So here's my gripe with it. You know, there's elements that I really liked about it. The living room I felt was too small, honestly. And the catwalk, you kind of separate. So you've got the master down on the main off the smaller living room across from the kitchen. And then you go up this catwalk and you've got the kids' bedrooms buried way back on the other side of the house. So what you're doing as a builder is you're cutting out any potential buyers that have small children, right? Because kids aren't necessarily going to want to be that far away from their parents all the way upstairs, you know, down a 30-foot catwalk 
to, you know, hang a right, go through a media room and then, you know, buried back in a couple of bedrooms back there. I just feel like you're cutting out buyers that, and I don't know if that was a spec or I'm assuming it's a spec because it had a for sale price on it. I would never build a house like that because it, it trims out so much of your buyer pool, especially in a price point like that. You've got to find people with either older kids or, you know, that basically is it really. I mean, they got to be older, but not too many because then it might get a little clustery down in the living area too. You know, it's not quite big enough. So a few things about it that I would have changed, you know, I don't want to be overly critical, but those are just, sure. that's what I noticed about it in terms of like, their finishes, I think they did a good job. They had a cool ceiling that they put in there, really tall ceilings throughout the house, which there's obviously not nearly as much height restriction for building in Happy Valley as in Lake Oswego because you couldn't do that stuff there easily, that's for sure. But those are just a few things that I noticed that I maybe would have changed if I had built the house. And then architecturally, like you mentioned, there's a couple things outside that we probably would have done differently as well. But overall, I think they did a good job. The catwalk looked nice. It really did, but it wasn't very functional. There wasn't even a place to sit there. There's just shelves. And it just looked like a big part of the house that you would pay somebody to dust regularly. But beyond that, it wasn't really a functional component to the house. So let's move on to the next one. Number two, that was BC Custom Home. I liked this one. I mean, it isn't an out of the, how do you say this? It's not a revolutionary style by any means. It's a great house that you've seen before. Unlike a couple of the other ones there, but I love the water around it. It's kind of like the little creek that's flowing around it. I like the the really low contemporary look. It's a single level. I love the atrium. I thought that was cool. Right there in the middle of the house, they've got like a little atrium courtyard where there's trees and, and vegetation growing. And then there's windows that open up to it. It doesn't have a roof on it, so you can imagine... In the summertime, it's open, and you, uh, you're you enjoying that. In the wintertime, you're probably seeing out of the back part of your house rain falling there. And They had a couple cool things like that going on. What did you think of that one? Honestly, it was my least favorite. Was it? <laughs> I just – the colors and the surfaces selections, I don't know. Not my flavor, you know, but that's okay. Sure, sure. I mean, it's not going to stand out as much as some of the others. There's no doubt about it. It falls more into the, you know, been there, done that box for yeah, sure. And let's just be, you know, honest. There's, there's a show house and there's a functional house, right? And so when you do the show, you try and marry the two the best that you can because you want to get people's attention and you want it to stand out, but you also want it to be functional for a buyer when they buy it and the show disappears, right? Because after the end of August, it becomes a normal house again and you yeah. have to sell it to normal people and it yeah. doesn't garner all the attention for the gimmicks and the show stuff. And they did some crazy stuff for the show, I think in terms of selections for surfaces and countertops and like at the bar, they had a raised eating bar that was like see-through, you know, reminded me of like Kingpin that, you know, that ball that uh, Bill Murray has with the rose in it kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah. So there was some kind of stuff like that. The one thing that the biggest gripe that I had about all the houses, and I guess I'll just say this now because I had about that one as well. They're all big houses, but their closets were not that like their master closet. They'd have one closet. They had enough square footage to create two or a much bigger walk-in closet on a lot of these. And they didn't. And they used that square footage for like an additional oversized double walk-in shower or something like that. I think that square footage would have been better utilized for either a his and hers closet or a bigger walk-in type closet. Yeah. You know, one thing I did not like about that house, number two, was the galley kitchen. Do you remember that long kitchen? Oh, yeah. I don't think that's what people want. People like open. I mean, 
There was only one house that had a really open concept, and that was like number four. That was the Red Hills construction house. They had a really open living area. That's like um, the other extreme of open compared yeah, to the gallery. Really- <laughs> this uh, number two, the Barclay, they had – it wasn't a super open great room. And then the kitchen, part of it was kind of – part of the great room even though there were a couple of pillars there but then part of the kitchen goes down and turns into like this galley kitchen that was really compartmental and blocked off and i did not like that component to it but number three how'd you like talizi's house i think that that was overall a good house i know they had some budget constraints and so the framer that framed that, he frames all of our stuff as well. So we kind of had inside, you know, chitter chatter on what was going on with that house. And I think overall he did a good job. I mean, it's a monster's house. I mean, it's like it 8,000 square feet because you've got house, you've got in-law quarters attached to the house, which is basically its own kitchen and a couple bedrooms. It's almost like a secondary house. And then you've got a pool house in the backyard. And then you've got a detached garage as well. That's like a two-car, three-car detached garage with an ADU above it. So it was like... A little city in itself uh, is kind of what it felt like. But, yeah. you know, overall, I think that that one felt like the show aside, it felt like the homiest, the most inviting. You walk in, it's comfortable, it's homey. You want to kick your feet up and hang out and have some some beers and watch a game with whoever owns the place and then play in their pool, right? Yeah. That's kind of – that's the feeling I got for that. So, I mean, overall, I think that that house – it just had the warmest feel. I know that they didn't do, you know, anything crazy in terms of show appeal, but I felt it was probably the warmest house. Yeah, I loved the backyard on that one. I, I absolutely did. I I didn't get to explore it as much as I would have liked, but from what I could see from the deck off the master, it was just it was awesome. And it had a real courtyardy feel too. It was again, pool was in the center, guest house to the left, sport court to the right palm trees behind it really really cool feel to that you know so. what i didn't like though that the way the driveway was set up and i know they didn't have a choice based on the way they built it but you had to basically drive across the whole front of your house to get into your your garages and it was pretty narrow too so kind of a tight driveway as well so i, I you know it i didn't love that part of it but you know they didn't really have any choice so it was just kind of what they had to do yeah so that takes us on to red hills construction the Legion is the name or something like that. 5,100 square feet, 1.575 million. What did you think of that one, Tucker? I thought the front of the house looked cool. They had a nice water feature. Great curb appeal from the front, I think. I didn't love the steps to the front, though, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't something they could control. I mean, it was a right. lot, but it's yeah, never a lot, of, a lot of steps. Yeah. And as a realtor, that's one thing I'm always leery of. When, when I see homes with a lot of steps to get into the house, creates a little bit of a a disadvantage in selling it but once you're in it you didn't feel that yeah and you know actually when i was walking up those steps did you see those like circus folk that they had there doing (laughs) some weird stuff there was this one dude holding this kind of creepy looking gal upside down hanging backwards and his like belly button was hanging out and it was just weird i was thinking like you take the face paint off these people and it's a real bizarre thing that they're doing right here in front of you so (laughs) Anyway, yes, I remember the stairs well because they were balanced. Some guy was balancing a girl on his head right there as I walked up. So yeah, those people on stilts—they were—they were, they were kind of creepy. They were running. They were zigzagging in and out of people, and I was just like, "Man, you guys have you—you you guys have some guts to be just walking around in a crowd with yeah. those things, you know, twelve feet up in the air." That was that was funny. It was definitely entertaining. 
I liked the house once I got into it. This one had the most open concept. When you walk into the main great room kitchen area, very, very open. Like you said, almost an extreme type of open. Cool outdoor living area. There was kind of like a hot tub off to the right that had some lights on it that were kind of cool. Covered patio. I think Red Hills did it a couple years ago as well, and they, they're big into the crazy lights. They love the lights. They had them upstairs in their um, bonus room up there as well. Oh, I like that bonus room, Tucker. That, I mean, I, I do like the open concept of this great room, and I loved that that bonus room was just up that little short flight of stairs and right there, and I really liked that bonus room. I did like the lights. I liked the feel of the bonus room. It had just a really a really warm, comfortable feel to it. And I liked how it wasn't that separated from the house. You know, sometimes you go into a, into a house and you have your, your great room area, which is where most people spend 80% of their time. And then you've got this bonus room that's like almost an island, you know, a 10-minute walk away. And it's like you've got to talk on cell phones to communicate. This was really close to the great room. So it was – I did like that. Yeah, master on the main on every house. Did you notice that, Tucker? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the reoccurring theme this year, we'll say. That and yeah. Barn Doors, which, by the way, you know, the year we did it, we were pretty much the only people that used Barn Doors, and now, of course, they've caught on everybody. I yeah, think yeah. Almost overused them, but so I don't know. Maybe that says we were ahead of our time slightly. But, yeah, no. they're cool. They're cool. I like them. So that takes us to the last house, and we'll finish up with this one. The name of it is Sateki, I guess. The you know, builders are the Satiki group or Sateki. I think um, that's how you pronounce it. You know, what's funny, though, is when we ran into each other, like literally I was standing there and it almost was like camouflage. I didn't even realize it was a house because, you know, you I got all either. these you're on sensory overload, too, because you got people everywhere. You pointed at it and I turned around. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a house behind us there. Like I didn't even really notice it because the way it, it's got a crazy exterior. But anyway, what did you think? So I, I'm with you, Tucker. So when I was first walking up, and I, this was just moments before I saw you, I look over there, and I'm thinking to myself that that's a tent, that's some type of like concession stand area or something. Maybe it's I, I was I just wasn't it wasn't registering like, hey, here is a a multi million dollar home over here. And you and I ran into each other and we started talking. I mean, remember what I said? I, I said it feels like almost like a prison, <laughs> and I even joked that it almost it's like a house panic room around it so it's almost like inside there should be a panic button <laughs> closes all these little these metal prison blinds or whatever you want to call it and it suddenly it's encapsulated in a like a, a horror movie <laughs> of armor it's bizarre and it didn't get better when I went inside. <laughs> I was hoping for, and I'm not trying to be a hater because I got no reason to really hate on it. I mean, obviously, I know what the builders go through to do this show, and I wish them all the success with what it is that they're building because it takes a lot out of you. But, yeah, it was definitely, it made an impact on the outside, which I'm sure is what they were trying to accomplish, right? And the HBA loves it because it'll be a draw for people to come see it. What I saw was a friggin' warranty nightmare as a builder because you've got all that wood that's put on the outside basically as, you know, blind, so to speak, I guess, of the the way they do the, you know, the Japanese architecture. But, man, we get a lot of weather here, and you know what happens to wood when it's exposed to weather, and, you know, you've got painted house behind stained wood. I just was, I was looking at that as like, oh, my God, I'd hate to be doing the warranty walk on that with uh, our one-year warranty with people and then having to deal with it after the fact as well. But, yeah, it was it was bizarre. You know, there were a few things 
technically about it in terms of like just providing a home to people beyond just the design and kind of the craziness that I, I thought were a mistake. The first being, I took a picture of it, posted on my Facebook page, the garage, they had a three car garage, which was good, but I think the garage was only seven feet tall. So the garage doors were seven feet with the downward sloping driveway that then flattens out. And so they had a real nice AMG Mercedes sitting there, which would have fit nicely into the garage, but you have a very shallow driveway. And if anybody with an SUV wants to buy that house, it becomes challenging to get it in the garage. So I think that's a problem that they didn't think through completely in terms of design. They could have easily bumped that, those doors up to eight feet. That's something that we, you know, are obviously pay attention to because most people in, you know, around here, they have an SUV of some sort, right? So you got to make sure that you're not cutting that out of your buyer pool. So that was the first thing I noticed. Lighting, I felt, was really bad inside. Not a lot of overhead lights. I don't know if you you noticed that or not. They have a lot of windows, but... It also rains here nine months out of the year, and it's not, you know, blisteringly sunny to bring a lot of light in a lot of days. So I feel like it might be a little dark in there. I don't know. What else did you notice? It was really compartmentalized. Like, it was just small room into small room, hallway, then small room, all broken up from each other. So it didn't flow. I mean, do you remember that little sitting area that was like a little tiny? You go around a corner, and then there's like this... 10 by 10 room, it's glass, and it's just a sitting room. And I'm just like trying to envision what would you come in here and sit and do? Is it just dead space over here? And it was kind of a fishbowl to the street too, the way it was set up. And when you're inside and you're looking out the windows, you're looking, it almost feels like you're in a prison looking through bars. Yeah. <laughs> because of the, because yes. of the, what do they call that stuff on the outside? I mean, you know, I didn't look it up ahead of time, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> Because know of the great, the grating or the the blinds or the uh, the facade on it, let's call it the facade. So you're looking all the windows from the front anyway. It looked better from the back. I will say that when I went over to where the the food buffet was and you could see the back of it, it wasn't as bad looking from there. Yeah. But well, they the spent front, an ass ton of money on their window package because if you noticed in the main room there off the kitchen, there were no beams there in the corners, right? So that window slides all the way open. They spent a ton of money because we know the the suppliers for it and it, they had to build special stuff. And, and I think that's part of what that architect does is he creates these spaces, right? Bring the outside in. Well, I think that's great in an ocean warm environment, but in a, you know, dreary, rainy nine months out of the year, Portland, I mean, I'm sure somebody will like it, but it just, you know, wouldn't be something that we'd build. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and I noticed even after it got dark, like, I was looking at it from the front and you could see through the windows. It just had a weird look. It had a weird look how the light was coming through the facade. Again, very prisonish. So it's just a it's a different approach. I don't think it's for sale. I heard that the person who built it has a pretty impressive resume. It says it here in the uh, in the brochure too that they are involved in the upcoming 2020 Olympic Stadium. They also did something with the Portland Japanese Gardens. So, I mean, they have an impressive resume. They just, I think my gut tells me, and and I don't think you'll disagree with me, this is probably their first foray into housing. Yeah, Um, and I believe it is. Yeah, it's somebody that's probably, you know, does commercial stuff and maybe, maybe, you know, gardens and stuff. And they're like, hey, let me go build a house. And you know as well as I do, Tucker, that, you know, Anyone, regardless of how talented you are in design, your first time doing a house 
you're going to make some mistakes and later on go, oh, I should have done X or I should have not done this. And just like you get better each time. So yeah, for sure. And one thing I've noticed too, is that architects should not be spec builders. Just generally speaking, obviously there's some that get it more than others, but when you have a overly artsy architect that tries to get into the spec game, there's actually one down the street from my house that's for sale. They they sometimes let creativity take hold a little too much. And when you do that, you alienate a large percentage of your potential buyers. So, you know, if you're building that for somebody with specific taste and more money than brains, have at it. Do the, you know, whatever. But when you're doing, you know, houses for spec and especially higher end houses for spec, you just have to think about certain things a little more so. And maybe it'll hurt them, maybe it won't. Who knows? But it's just kind of my feeling on it. I have a funny story, though, about this house. So we walk in and, you know, like most of the houses, there was one house that did not make you take off your shoes. And I was blown away. I think it was number two. Oh, yeah. No, it was number one. It was Stonebridge. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was number one. Yeah, yeah. I walk in. I'm like, oh, uh, take off my shoes. And they're like, no, no, no. Enjoy the house. No need to take off your shoes. I'm like, oh, wow. Interesting. All other four, of course, make you take off your shoes. So I walk into number five, the the Japanese house. And, (laughs) you know, I'm taking off my shoes and I'm I'm walking around the corner and I'm, I'm walking into the like a big great room area there. And there on the couch is a gal that I don't know being consoled by another gal. And she's leaned over and she's like sick. And and I'm kind of watching her for a second. I'm like, I think she's going to blow. <laughs> and sure enough, she just starts puking just right onto the coffee table. Oh. And then the, the gal that was with her <laughs> hands her a bag really quickly because I think they were giving you bags there to put your shoes in. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, I bet they aren't going to like that because <laughs> if they're making you take off your shoes, I'm sure that they're not going to be thrilled with that. And yeah. so I, I, I moved on and I walked through the house. I come back by like 10 minutes later and they're still sitting there and nobody had noticed them and was saying anything to them. So, oh, wow. There's yeah, a I met, horror story I, from the block party. Yeah, it's funny, man. And, and just kind of closing, I talked to the guy at the front door and he was like, you have to take your shoes off. You can't just put booties on. And I was like, oh, you're going to have fun with that battle over the course of the next month with people. Because <laughs> people get, I mean, having done the show, it, just telling people they got to put booties on can be a battle sometimes. But to tell them they actually have to take their shoes off to go in your house, I mean, there's going to be blow ups. There's going to be, it, it just, it gets crazy, man. You, yes, you deal yes. with interesting folks they obviously had the puking incident the year we did it somebody peed in the corner in one of the houses in the office we had somebody break open a a fridge that was locked shut to get a drink to then just pound it and put it on the counter i mean you deal with all kinds of stuff so they're yeah they're in for a ride i think they don't know what they're in for when they ask everybody to take their shoes off versus just kind of go with the the masses which is put the booties on you know instead So. All the ladies without that pedicure, that recent pedicure are going to be yeah. kicking and screaming. All the guys with their socks that have holes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 So it, it was interesting. But all in all, I mean, I think it'll be a draw for the show, which, you know, is ultimately what what they want. So, yeah. Cool. Well, there you have it, folks. Get over there to the Street of Dreams. Check it out. You'll have a great time. It's definitely worth going this year. And, you know, if we see you around, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. What's Realtor Day? Is it Monday, next Monday? Realtor Day is Monday, yeah. Okay. So okay. that's a busy day over there. 
I'm not sure if I'm going to make it there or not. I've got a pretty busy full calendar of stuff going on, but I might try to get over later in the day. But yeah, all realtors can get in for free. They just have to show a business card. I think that's sponsored by the Oregonian or it has been in the past. And so, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of activity. The first official day, I think, is Saturday, right? Yep, I believe so. Oh, the band playing yesterday was great too. The Patrick Lamb band, I like. Yeah, those. they did. They were good. They were yeah, definitely good. I'll give yeah. them props for that. That's for sure. It was a fun night, and it, it was just well done. And kudos to another good Street of Dreams. And there's no houses that are roped off and not part of the show, so nobody completely screwed up. <laughs> Everybody made it yet again, just barely, but they made it. Everybody made it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. When you've done them in the past or you've been around them, are there times where right after the block party, they, they go back to work and they still have some stuff they're tweaking and finishing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was talking to Rick last night and he said they have to clean the street still. If you didn't notice, there was dirt and mud all over the street. They hadn't cleaned the street oh, yet. Oh. So they were just under the gun for the party. Yeah. So, yeah, they're they're working today, tomorrow. There was still a lot of stuff to do in a lot of cases. So, yeah, it was, it was showable, but definitely that to-do list was still awfully long from what I heard. So, yeah, that's the fun of the Street of Dreams. So, yeah. yeah. Any leads on where next year's is? I didn't hear anything, but I didn't ask either. So I'm sure they've got a few sites that they usually pick it by about September, October. So I'm sure yeah. by the time the show's over, they'll have a, a short list. But Cool. Anyway, so, all right. Well, that's this week's show. Get out there. Check it out. If you're at Realtor Day on Monday, enjoy. And you heard our thoughts. We'd be interested in yours. So uh, I guess enjoy the show. All right, Steve, I'll catch you, what, next week maybe or the week after? We'll have a show, something like that. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. All right, guys, it's episode 70 wrapping up. We'll see you guys next week or the week after. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.